0: Hello everyone, I'm Peter Lupson, author of the book Thank God for Football, about the church origins of 12 famous English football clubs who have played in the FA Premier League. The series is based on my book Thank God for Football, which is available from Amazon or directly from the publisher SPCK. Today's club is Southampton. On Saturday, the 18th of August 2001, Southampton Football Club played Spanish club Espanyol in a friendly to mark the opening of their new stadium, St Mary's. The choice of name for this stadium was significant because it honored St Mary's Church, where the club had been founded some 120 years previously. Almost symbolically, its spire can clearly be seen from the ground. In fact, the club was once called Southampton St. Mary's, after the church, and from the saint in St. Mary's came the nickname, The Saints. Appropriately then, the clergyman who led the service of blessing preceding the match with Español was the rector of St. Mary's Church. Southampton Football Club came into being as a result of the response of St. Mary's Church in the 1880s to terrible problems of poverty, overcrowding and squalor accompanied by drunkenness, crime and prostitution, in the parish. The man who was to become Southampton F.C.'s first president, the rector of St. Mary's, Canon Basil Wilberforce, was determined to do all he could to confront these problems and improve the lives of his parishioners. Basil Wilberforce was born in Winchester in 1841 into an illustrious family. He was the grandson of William Wilberforce, who led the movement that brought about the abolition of the slave trade in the British Empire, and he was the son of Samuel Wilberforce, the Bishop of Oxford. His godmother was Queen Victoria. When Wilberforce became Rector of St Mary's in 1871, the church enjoyed considerable prestige as the Mother Church of Southampton. It was the venue for important municipal functions, such as the induction of the mayor. Although the vast majority of his parishioners were extremely poor, many members of his congregation were quite wealthy. In Victorian times, it was not unusual for people of a privileged background to worship at and serve in a church in a deprived area, even though they lived a long way from it. The sense of mission among highly respectable and wealthy Christians to the poor was strong, and they were pleased to devote time, money, and energy to serving the disadvantaged. Of course, not all those attending the church were motivated by lofty ideals. Some of the congregation, no doubt, were attracted there simply because it was the place to be seen. But Wilberforce would have found this repugnant. He clearly stated that he did not consider church-going as such to be the defining characteristic of a Christian. He constantly stressed that a Christian was a person who enjoyed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In the parish magazine of January 1888, he wrote, Personal fellowship with Christ is then the secret of quietness and peace amongst brethren. In like manner, it is the source of heart rest in the difficulties of life. To be a Christian is not to profess a faith or to conform to a creed. It is the acknowledgement of a close connection between Christ and the soul. It is not the imitation of a perfect model, but the indwelling of a spiritual power. Now, Wilberforce himself certainly needed the indwelling of a spiritual power to help him in his struggle against the enormous social problems of his parish. For instance, as a forceful advocate of total abstinence from alcohol because of the social misery caused by drink, he endured much abuse from brewers and publicans who saw him as a threat. Others attacked him for not doing enough. One angry correspondent wrote to a local newspaper proclaiming that Wilberforce should be aware, that the immediate neighbourhood of his church and residence are groaning under the curse of drunkenness and immorality that a street immediately opposite his church teems with brothels, that the public footpath through his churchyard is the nightly resort of prostitutes who ply their vile calling there. Instead of taking offence at these words, Wilberforce actually quoted them in the parish magazine in support of his call for immediate action. He wrote, "'Let me commend the words to the attention of the magistrates of this town,' strip them of their obvious exaggeration, and there is enough truth in them to make every professed Christian in St Mary's throw aside indifference and plunge into God's battle. In fact, St Mary's had already plunged into God's battle. Under Wilberforce's leadership, the Church responded to the desperate social problems in the parish by forming numerous organisations targeting specific needs. These included temperance clubs encouraging abstinence from alcohol, a working men's club that provided wholesome recreational activities as an alternative to the public house, a night school for what was called a rough and neglected class of lads, a club for working lads and the mother's group. For the poor and hungry, St Mary's ran three soup kitchens and organised a special treat at Christmas. There were also Sunday schools for the teaching of Scripture, and basic literary skills. But the organisation that will be of most interest to supporters of Southampton Football Club is the St Mary's Young Men's Association. It was the cradle of their club. The Young Men's Association, the YMA, not to be confused with the YMCA, was formed at St Mary's in 1881 for young men aged between 15 and 22. Its primary purpose was, quote, aiding the spiritual life, not omitting with this the manly exercises of the physical life. Its members were middle class, therefore not typical of the parish. They were expected to attend Bible classes and to help out in the parish by teaching in the Sunday schools, singing in the choir, or by involvement in outreach work with young people. It was a vibrant organisation with a variety of activities for its members, ranging from athletics, cricket and gymnastics to membership of a choral society. There were lectures on subjects of topical interest and there was a reading room. In November 1885, members of the YMA Cricket Club met to discuss the formation of a football club. Their meeting was chaired by a curate of St Mary's and leader of the YMA, Reverend Arthur barron Soul, a keen sportsman. The outcome was to prove historic. It marked the launch of the St Mary's Young Men's Association Football Club, which was to become Southampton Football Club. Basil Wilberforce, the rector, was invited to be its president. He held this position until his departure from St Mary's nine years later. Although not involved in the day-to-day running of the club, he gave it his full support. Another member, of the St Mary's clergy, Reverend Charles Jackson, who was a curate from 1884 until 1888, and the sub-warden of the YMA, also had a close involvement with the club, playing for the team in its second season. The fledgling club played its first game on Saturday, 21st of November, 1885, against local side Fremantle, and ran out easy 5-1 winners. It was one of many friendly matches played in the first two seasons but in the 1887-8 to season, a cup competition was entered for the first time. It was the newly constituted Hampshire FA Junior Cup, and St Mary's YMA were its first winners. It was during this season that the local press referred to the club for the first time as The Saints. The trophy was won again the next two seasons, but this time under the club's shorter name, St Mary's Football Club. These successes inspired the Saints to enter cup competitions of a much higher standard and, in 1892, to turn professional. 1894, two years later, was a watershed year in the history of the club. First was a change in the presidency. Basil Wilberforce, who'd been rector of St Mary's since 1871, left Southampton in June 1894 for London, to take up an appointment as Canon Residentiary of Westminster Abbey. Two years later, he was to become chaplain of the House of Commons. His contribution to the development of the football club was invaluable. As an adherent of the muscular Christian movement, which placed great emphasis on the practical expression of the Christian faith in service to others, he had created the climate and conditions of St Mary's, that made it possible for a football club to be formed and to flourish there. Furthermore, he had identified with the club in a very real way by allowing his name to be associated with it as president, by allowing it to play in the name of the church, and by supporting it at public events. Wilberforce's successor as president was Dr Russell Bencraft. Bencraft had very close associations with St Mary's Church throughout his life. As a boy... He'd spent many happy hours on the deanery sports field, and as a young man, he taught in the Sunday school. He was later a sidesman of the church and a regular reader of the lessons at services. He had been a stalwart of the Young Men's Association from its earliest days, and a prominent figure in its football club from the start, playing a key role on the committee and fronting social occasions. Bancroft was a good all-round sportsman. He played cricket for Hampshire and became a member of the MCC committee. He won prizes as an amateur oarsman, and on the running track. He was a good horseman and cyclist, and he was a fine rugby player. He became president of the Hampshire Football Association, the Southern Football League, and the Hampshire Rugby Union. He was to become one of the most prominent citizens of Southampton, achieving distinction in both his medical career and in business. He was also a benefactor of numerous charities. In 1924, he was awarded a knighthood. The presidency of St Mary's Football Club was in very safe hands. The second major development in 1894 was on the playing side. After repeated cup successes, the time had come to join a league. The club duly applied for, and was admitted to, the newly formed Southern League for the start of the 1894-5 season. This was truly the end of one era and the start of another, symbolically marked by the retirement of goalkeeper Ralph Ruffle, the last remaining member of the original YMA team. And there was another change of name, St Mary's Football Club becoming Southampton St Mary's Football Club. It proved to be a successful season. St Mary's finished third in the league, won the Hampshire Senior Cup for the third time, and battled through four qualifying rounds of the FA Cup to reach the first round proper for the first time. Such was the increasing strength of the squad that by the 1895-6 season, the reserve team was considered good enough to be entered in the Hampshire Senior Cup. It duly reached the final. At the end of that season, Saints found themselves without a ground. For many years, they'd played their home matches at the Antelope County Cricket Ground, which was on land owned by St Mary's Church. But in the summer of 1896, the church needed funds and decided to sell the cricket ground. Saints managed to find a temporary base for the start of the 1896-7 season at the Hampshire County Cricket Ground and quite clearly enjoyed playing there. They won the Southern League Championship without losing a single match. That was to be the last season in which the club played with the name of St Mary's Church in its title. There were many who felt that the present name was too parochial for a club that had clearly outgrown its roots, and they argued that it was time to move forward as a limited company under a new name, Southampton Football Club. There were murmurs in the press that the deletion of St Mary's from the title would result in the loss of the nickname The Saints, But apart from this, there were no voices raised in opposition. At the AGM, on the 11th of June, 1897, the momentous decision was taken to form a limited liability company called the Southampton Football and Athletic Company Limited. After playing under the name St Mary's for 12 years since its birth, the club's link with the church was now formally broken. But this takes us back to where we opened our story. Southampton Football Club, by choosing the name St Mary's for its new stadium, and by continuing to use the nickname The Saints, has clearly not forgotten its debt to the church where it was born. I hope you enjoyed that story. Join us again next time to hear another one about the church origin of a famous English football club. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Peter Lupson, author of Thank God for Football.